You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week I'm continuing our series on the Museum of Modern Art in New York City with another double interview. You're going to hear from Sarah Wood and Stephen Wheeler. Sarah is a manager at MoMA's art handling department, and Stephen is one of the museum's registrars. Registrars and art handlers are basically the logistics people of museums. They're responsible for tracking and transporting and inspecting and installing every single piece of art that comes in and out of the building. Essentially, they are the people entrusted with making sure that masterpieces worth hundreds of millions of dollars move safely around the world. And it's really high stakes work, but they have a very good sense of humor about it. So I hope you enjoy. What are your names and what do you do? So my name is Sarah Wood and I work at MoMA and I am the assistant manager of art handling and preparation or something really long like that. <laughs> your formal title. And yeah. <laughs> I'm Stephen Wheeler. I'm a registrar, specifically a collection registrar working with the architecture and design department. Okay, so I feel like registrar is the less intuitively obvious job title. Like art handling, that at least gives a, a museum novice some sense of what your department does. But what is a registrar? Right. So I always, I usually preface it with art registrar, which okay. I sometimes feel dumb doing because it's to people who do what we do, you feel like you're being redundant. But other people are like, oh, like the person who takes your money at college? And you're like, no. <laughs> to most people, like... Most of my family has no idea what I do. Like they don't really understand. (laughs) We do like most of them just think I travel a lot. Like they all just think I travel all the time, which is a very small portion of what we come across (laughs) during various projects. But but if you're giving an elevator pitch version of it, if you're trying to explain to your family quickly that you don't just get on airplanes for your job, what what is a registrar basically? Um, So we we're the sort of caretakers of the artwork in that we set up shipping, creating the transportation in and around the museum. Like we get our cues from curatorial or conservation or about what needs to go where. And then we do, you know, paperwork and lists. And that's the kind of stuff that we give to Sarah who disperses it to her team. And they're, they're the ones that actually execute the moves, the hanging. So we kind of work in tandem in that way. So it sounds like the two of you combined are sort of like almost like the internal like UPS or like FedEx <laughs> for the museum. Is that like a good way to kind of feel like you're the you're the office side and you guys are the actual and Sarah, you're sort of the actual like physical ma- managing the logistics side of it. That- yeah, that's right. And we deal with the actual objects and the registrars deal with all of the like loan agreements. There's tons of paperwork or digital now, hopefully, but condition reports that they do. But we really are, I guess if we're going to go with like UPS analogy, (laughs) I'm trying to think we're like the drivers and the people who unload the truck and then the people who install it. And so, yeah, it's UPS, but then it becomes like something, something else after I don't know if my UPS analogy, you sound a little skeptical of my UPS analogy. Yeah, because I think it's so much like better and more interesting than that. Okay, it's... we're going to work. We're going to work. <laughs> on it then. Okay. But you don't know that yet. No, so gonna, I have to tell gonna, you. We're going to work on my crap analogy. By the end of it, it'll be <laughs> less crap, less terrible. Okay, so let's let's start just like really concretely. When do you guys like when are you called into the process of, of I guess it's getting exhibitions or loans done. When do you enter the scene? It sort of depends on what the project is like if we're talking about a big huge exhibition that takes three four years of planning you know like curatorial is working on that for a long time before any of us really hear about it and then once it becomes like a solid program that we're going to like go after you know then everyone starts to get involved and you start getting information about where all the loans are going to come from what what the material like is it a collection show like so we have shows that are primarily loans like that come in from other institutions private lenders or we can we do a lot of just collection shows like on like maybe like a per department level like you could go into a gallery that's all photography from our collection yeah. it's been curated around a certain idea or artist and so that would be 
maybe a shorter time frame, a little bit. So, but once there's basically a show coming up, at some point you're going to be called in and say, we have to actually start actually getting the stuff in. Yeah, right. it's probably, I don't know, like six months, a year out, like you start working on all these logistics, like, because we bring stuff in from all over the States, all over the world, trucking, crating, things are flying. <laughs> it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into getting all that stuff in one room together that is the behind the scenes stuff that's the heart of what we do. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Is a loan show going to be like the more complicated one, sort of? Where Usually they are because we don't have direct experience with the objects ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like with our collection, usually we've installed it at least once before or somebody knows something, somebody worked for the artist or somebody worked somewhere else and they've done it before. But if you are having a show of all loans, it can be pretty complicated. But conversely, you usually have more time. It's like a more structured plan because so many people are involved and there are all these like legal issues and Okay, so that sounds fun and gnarly. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about one of those shows. Okay, so what? Wh how does that start? Where, where do you start the process for getting this stuff to the museum and, and taking care of it? Where does it begin? I guess essentially once the curators have picked out all of the material that they want to bring in and they've really sussed out their lists and, you know, you kind of make some decisions about is that piece worth it? Do we need it versus this other piece that maybe, you know, it costs a lot of money to make these things happen and you have to like do some costs saving measures at some level. Oh, that's interesting. It so, costs money because of the because of the shipping, because yeah, of the insurance. You, Why? You, you yeah, insurance, all the shipping, you're getting crates made for artworks that we don't even own so that we can go get them, transport them safely, bring them to the museum, you know, so that they're installed and everything goes perfectly. Are, are crates really expensive? Crate crates are really expensive, yeah. yeah. Like why is that? There's I, I mean, it's a very custom job. Like you're, you're asking for them to make a nice, strong box for whatever it is, whether it's a painting or a sculpture or some complicated AV installation where it's a thousand pieces that have to be put together once they're here. Um, it's all custom fit. Yeah. Uh, and they also have like, they essentially go on an airplane yeah. with like people's luggage and they get moved around with forklift by a guy who maybe you should talk to him about how his job <laughs> is. And, I mean, you know, they get driven around the yeah. airport. They get driven around out on the tarmac. They're pushed around. Sometimes they fall over at the airport. I, I mean, it's like... I was about to say, they're not always paying attention to the this side up. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't really care that you have a Picasso in there. Like they are, they have like some chickens and some gloves and then they have your picasso and they're all going on the airplane so they have but that to be is so that's another part of the job that we do and that is the part that like people hear about and think yeah. is fabulous is like we do travel with the art yeah. so if it's something like of value it's fragile the lender agreement will typically include like it has to have a courier which is when we or conservation or curatorial people go to the site, pick the thing up, and ride all the way back to here with it. It's like always in your sight. It's you're you're there when they're doing the forklift. Like you're the one that says like go slower, don't raise it up that high. Like make sure you don't do this with it. Don't stack it. So you're there to be the kind of eyes and keep 
everything kosher. <laughs> and we've definitely kind of gone on a detour here, but I'm interested in this detour, especially since you brought up Picasso's falling over. So wait, it has never happened. It has never it ne- happened. Has never ever <laughs> happened. Right. So, and I'm, I'm now thinking of which sculpture it must have been that was in that giant Picasso show you guys did. Yeah. Which was like all loans. That's pretty much where, or a lot of it was yeah. loans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, vast majority. Wait, are people at airports and, and are forklift drivers generally conscientious? Of? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's, they don't want to mess up anybody's stuff, but things happen. But they're also moving massive amounts of stuff. It's amazing when you go to these cargo yeah. holds, like you just see humanity in like a whole nother way. Just pallets and pallets and boxes of paper towels computers mice like <laughs> not that kind of computer uh, oh i think sorry you said, i'm imagining a giant <laughs> box full of animals but i know it's, uh, it's no, no so, animals there, yeah. yeah actual yeah, oh, okay. yeah. that's oh, okay. i've seen eels you've seen yeah. and that's all just like in the same warehouse being moved around as the art yeah. that's coming through yeah and it's because it's just a shipping warehouse yeah. like for, right for that your stuff is for like so every airline has their own cargo yeah area and so whatever airline you're using you see all of their cargo. When you're traveling with the art, are you like riding in a in a cargo hold? Like how are you you said you have to have your eyes on it all the time. Yeah, you you hang out. But you're not in the cargo hold of the airplane. Oh, oh right, right, right. Just sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> that would be freezing. I was about to say, like, oh, imagine you're just like chilling there in a parka. Right. <laughs> just uh, like a bag of chips. No, you you don't have your eyes on it, not but the whole time. you as like, much as you can. You don't get on the plane until your car. You see your cargo physically. Like you stand at the gate with yeah. an agent. You are watching your yeah. crate go onto the airplane. As soon as your crate or crates are on the plane, you get on the plane. If you don't get on the plane yeah. and your stuff's on the plane, they can't take off. Oh, interesting. So it's really, and these are just passenger flights. Like they're not. Special. Usually, they're not special airplanes. Sometimes I mean, there's also there are also cargo flights, which are no passengers, just yeah. a couple of pilots and a bunch of stuff. And usually, you, horses. Maybe some horses. Yeah. This sounds like the beginning of a heist movie or something. Yeah. Like there's I'm, a there's a several hundred million dollar Picasso on this flight to you know New York, and yeah. someone's going to try and get the plane or something. Right. So all of our crates, yeah. like there's no. Nothing says MoMA on the outside of the crates. Nothing says what's inside. It's supposed to be a pretty anonymous thing. But then when you go into cargo, you realize nothing else looks like this. Like, you can tell that it's a pretty special box. Yeah. So the custom made. Yeah. Like they should, they should like make it look less special, probably (laughs) like make it look like it's made out of cardboard or something. Wait, it's okay. So, and this brings us back to where we started, which is like, you have to actually arrange for all this. So who actually makes these boxes? Like what, what are the companies that do that? Is it just like a box maker, a barrel yeah. maker does this as a sideline or something? No, no, no. no there it's, are, it's, it's just art specific, creating. Yeah. It is art creating. So that's and a usually whole industry. They're, yeah, usually they're an art transportation company who also makes crates. And they usually store art for people, for collect private collectors. And In Europe, they actually have a different model where like a, one company does everything. They do all of the coordination. They do the shipping. They do customs. They're also... The people that go to the museums and yeah. do the the installation, like they're very like top down overall kind of vibes there. Yeah, Where here true. it's much more like we outsource to a trucking company, we outsource to a crating company, we yeah. outsource mm-hmm. to like freelance installers sometimes for various projects. Like, so th- this is like a whole behind the scenes industry that's making the art actually move. No one really, I guess, like, again, if you're a regular museum goer, you just don't really know about it. Yeah. I always think about the people that go to, you know, a very famous institution that has a very famous piece or two. And then the visitor goes there expecting to see that piece and it's not there. Yeah. And you're kind of like, where'd it go? <laughs> Usually it's maybe it's it's gone on loan to some show. Yeah. That's specifically about that artist. And it's a really important groundbreaking show to bring them all together so it's worth taking that institution's masterpiece for the sake of the larger educational good 
because art flows between institutions, there has to be some sort of network to make it happen, to yeah. make it happen correctly and safely. Yeah. And so people don't lose money because the Picasso fell over and broke. So, right. Like the amount of insurance that everybody has to carry. Again, yeah. no so, Picassos were yeah. harmed yeah. So, no. in the making of this podcast. Has that ever happened? I mean, not to you guys, but like in the industry, are there any examples of like art that was like severely damaged in, in transit? Um, yeah. I mean, it must. Yeah, it has to happen. It like, definitely happens. You, you don't want it to happen. Obviously, you try. Like our job is to try everything we can to make sure things don't happen. But you know. But like a big part of what you do, or from my vantage point, is like when we loan something or someone loans to us. One of the first things that happens to it is it. So you get it into your museum. You let it sit for 24 hours in climate to kind of get acclimated to the temperature and humidity of the new space that it's in. Then you take it out of its crate and you stare at it for like an hour and make sure nothing changed since the last time somebody saw it. And so the registrars take these meticulous notes and like take a tiny flashlight and like scan everything and and make sure nothing happened because there's so much liability yeah writing on like did anything happen like nothing can change yeah that's the more tedious part of it is like sitting there and you're checking and you're like looking at every single corner and yeah so like when i mean like are you looking for like did a bit of paint get scratched or like a drip or yeah i mean in transit you're looking for stuff that could happen from it slowly tinily just shaking for however long its trip was because it's on a plane it's on a truck like there's so you're thinking about things getting dislodged or shifted maybe a some surface that's like a tricky i don't know like an aggregate surface you're, you you want to make sure nothing's fallen off so you're looking for all those little things and then you're also making a document that says this is how it entered the museum and our goal is to have it leave the museum in exactly the same shape so there's lots of things that can happen during the course of being on view. Like we have thousands and thousands of visitors every a day. day that are in these spaces. And Chet Gold, your security manager, was, was telling me about how viewers will actually just touch the art. Like at Relay, will just go and paw at the painting. Yeah, half the time because they don't even re believe it's the real thing. Yeah, <laughs> and then that's another part of what we do during the installation process. Yeah, is we walk around the galleries after it's done and we're kind of like, all right, that thing needs a little extra protection. We're going to put something in front of it. That should have a platform a little bigger, you know, things that keep the artwork at arm's length as much as we can without, you know, mucking up the visual. How do you make that call? Well, I mean, it's usually it's a kind of group decision. Sometimes lenders specify, I want a security officer standing next to my sculpt my sculpture like 24 hours a day or i want stanchions or i want this i want that a lot of artists don't want any of that stuff because it detracts from the aesthetic it's not part of the work and so they usually it's usually a a little bit of a push and pull between art handling and registrar and conservation usually on the side of let's try to make sure something bad doesn't happen. And then the curators and the artists kind of always want everything to look amazing all the time. But we know things happen. Bad things happen. So. Yeah, hypothetically, we would put every single thing in a giant plexi box. So <laughs> no we one joke about like, near it. We joke but. about having like just a tiny like tunnel that people can walk through and maybe they have to like cross their arms and they can't <laughs> they can't like actually deviate from this very tight path because it's so nerve-wracking. So that's a tension though. You you guys are always on the side of safety partly because you guys you're responsible for then getting it back to whoever owned it originally. Exactly. You, you don't want anything to ever happen but like if it got scratched or something a kid touches it, you get into possible legal situations and you don't want to go down that road so we just try to keep everything as safe as we possibly can so I, I was telling you guys on the phone a little bit about my very brief experience working at a museum like very very misbegotten um at like the campus museum at northwestern when i was figuring out what i wanted to do with myself 
And I was basically handling checklists all day. And it wasn't so much that I thought that was, you know, boring or bad or anything. It was that I just knew that I was not the person you wanted handling checklists and it was not the job for me. I was going to screw something. Uh, some Dale Chihuly piece was going to get lost in transit because of uh, something I left off. But I'm curious, how much of your life is paperwork? How much of your guys' lives is checklists? Uh, it seemed very important to me. Mine is a lot. Yeah, we do these shows. You get these checklists. I just got one today, 400 objects for a show. And, yeah. And you're just like, wow, it's a lot of stuff to keep track of. You know, everything from like a small ceramic bowl to a car are on the same artwork checklist. And you're like, okay, I got to really get through this. You got to see what's located where. You got to make a list about what's going to go on that truck, what's going to go over here, what's in conservation already and it's safe and you have to just rake through and make sure you've processed every artwork and you're ready to do the next step and keep things moving with the goal of getting everything into the gallery on but time and how i mean like how many things are on one of those lists like for a large exhibition like how much how big can one of these lists get you know when they start yeah i, I think i've seen some lists where they're like in the 700 range yeah. which obviously is big and they still need to do editing and they they bring it down, but like 400 is in the realm of like a couple of shows we've done for sure. But then something like, like the show that's up now, the Nauman show on the, the portion that's at MoMA, you know, on the sixth floor, there are like, I don't know, 14. Yeah. It's works, technically maybe. 14 artworks, but it feels like yeah. so much because they're so big and involved and they need space in between each other and his work kind of, they all talk to each other anyway. It's very interesting. Whereas you do a show about small photographs, like you need a lot of photographs to fill up a room. Yeah. So it depends on the show. Yeah. But, but I don't really, so back to your checklist question. Yeah. I got checklists from people like Steven and curators and conservation, but I'm really just looking, like I'm scanning, I can skip over all the stuff that I feel like I understand. So I'm only looking for the things that I either haven't seen before or look hard to achieve or otherwise problematic like oh this one this one looks like it's battery powered like we're gonna have to talk about that like this one takes water we're gonna have to talk about that this one looks like it's gonna break this one looks like it's already broken so i'm really just scanning for future problems <laughs> so you're you're art handling but you're also like art installation so yeah. you're actually you're the one responsible for actually getting this stuff up on the wall and getting it on display i started out as an art handler because i didn't know what i was gonna be <laughs> 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 i didn't have a great plan i had a an mfa and uh no plan so i started art installation because mm -hmm. that's what people do and i did that at a few different places and then i ended up at moma as an art handler and then now i'm assistant manager so i don't actually do the installation anymore yeah but you're overseeing yeah well wait, so you said that that's what people do is that sort of like a, a just a normal like okay kind of next step out while I'm figuring out my life in the arts kind of job or is it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's how a lot of people start. Like our crew is vast majority artists, practicing artists, mm -hmm. like musicians, dancers, painters, sculptors, photographers, the whole lot. And I think for a lot of people, it's something that they do. It's a day job. And then they do other stuff. They have this other thing that they do. But it, for a lot of people, it ends up being more than that. And you can really make it a career and you can like really develop like an expertise that's pretty highly sought after actually in the world. Well, I was going to say, because you guys were just describing this whole industry that's sprouted up around it. I, I guess I should ask, what is an art handler? It's literally you should you're maybe the only person or you, along with conservation, you're the only people who can actually touch the art or should actually touch the art. That's the first most exciting thing that you realize when you start art handling. You're like, I get to touch the art. Yeah. Like, I like have always wanted to, like, just see this, whatever it is, this Duchamp. And now I'm like, I get to carry it around. This is yeah. crazy. But so your job is to, like help people like Steven do do their job. So mm -hmm. he'll say, like, oh, like these crates came in yesterday. I need to open them up and do the condition report. And so the art handlers open the crates and unpack the artwork and set it up for condition reporting. And then once that's given the thumbs up, then we're the people who move it around. We're the people who install it, deinstall it, pack it up again. 
What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. So this crate comes in. Stephen, you have to take a flashlight and like inspect every inch of it, but you're not allowed to actually lay your hands on the thing. Correct. That's And that means your department has to have a handler there to actually do all that work because that responsibility has been vested in your team. Right. We, we touch it with our eyes <laughs> meticulously. <laughs> uh, but, that sounds dirty. <laughs> that's what I was to say. It's like, Sorry, Mom. Uh, um, <laughs> yes, I undress the Duchamp um, with my eyes. With my eyes. Okay. So, I was, yeah. was going to say the best part, I think, for us is – we have an, also have like an outgoing loan program and, you know, mm. we send our stuff out and you get assigned to it. Maybe you're going to travel with it mm. and you're the one that does the report before it goes out. And so like while we're having the crate made and the art handling's doing their thing, you spend like a solid day, maybe two days with just like one amazing, you know, Jackson Pollock and you're just staring at it like the entire day because you're looking at every little corner, you're looking at it yeah. in the overall and you just... I didn't study art or painting or anything. So it's like when you get to spend that much time with a single work and yeah. just really like get into it, you just start seeing stuff that you never noticed before. Galleries can be hard to like really take in art in a like amazing quiet way sometimes when they're, they're very busy and you lose that like personal connection. So like I find that's like a really amazing part of our job is to have that intimate relationship with it that maybe other people don't get to have, unfortunately. It sounds like you're actually required to get as up close and personal with a painting in a way that if I were to do that at the museum, uh, Chet would be yelling at me <laughs> to get the hell away from it. <laughs> it would, yeah. And you guys get to actually you know touch and hold it. and You're the only ones who are allowed to do it. But part of it is actually just you are physically moving the stuff, but then also the, the art handlers and the art handling team are you're getting it up on the wall, right? Yeah. That has to take kind of special expertise. You're not just hanging a picture, you're you're installing. That seems a Yeah, different. you're installing and installing a painting is usually like one of the easiest mm. things that you can do. Like a lot of times if like with sculpture or three-dimensional objects, you're really like you really have to think about every possible thing that might go wrong and so much thought has to go into how was it made like how's it going to stand up how heavy is it what if it gets bumped into what if you know and then you can't have it look like it's wearing a straight jacket so it's you have to do kind of all of this invisible precautionary stuff to make everything safe but also look the way that we expect it to look. What's a, an example of an invisible precautionary step that you, you might take? Uh, so I was just thinking we're, we're about to do an installation with a lot of like um, design objects, like things from like the 40s and 50s that were mm -hmm. like part of a design project that the museum sponsored. And one of the things we're going to hang on a wall is like a rake and we need to hang it on the wall and mount it in a way that is like invisible, but also secure. And so we have some of the art handlers right now working on these really minute little bits of hardware that like sometimes they exist, sometimes they literally make them. These like mounting bits 
brackets and things that like just disappear. Like nobody sees it. Like they don't even know how it's hanging on the wall because it's done so. I mean, they're not actually invisible. Yeah, but, but like close. <laughs> it's not this. magic, but yeah. it's almost magic. Yeah, that's. I like that. It's like a good description of my work. Almost magic. It's almost magic. <laughs> <laughs> so part of it is to find a way to to make things safe without being. Uh, I guess what what does it mean for something to look like it's in a straitjacket? I guess like what well, is like, what would, what does that mean? To like you? you don't want to step on the toes of the artist's intent, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why it's really great to have creative people behind the scenes because everyone gets it. Like they they know what it feels like to have made something. You know, it's like if somebody's answering their cell phone during your cello recital or something. Like, you just don't want to intrude. Like, it's not about that. So it's like putting the box around something or having the security guards standing, hovering over is the kind of thing that you're trying to avoid. What's, like, another creative way you guys get around that having to do that sort of thing? What's a... Not that I'm asking you to reveal museum security secrets, state state secrets. I mean, Stephen said earlier, we try to create distance between the art and people Mm -hmm. for everyone's well-being but also to keep the art safe so that's usually the best way is if you can somehow just keep people a little bit further away and that also usually gives enough kind of viewing space for the work so you so you're not like literally tying it down to a platform but it's tricky i mean and and i think there's a lot of compromise like i was saying the curators have to compromise the artists compromise we Um, have to compromise we also compromise i guess then yeah like what's the progression there you said a lot of people make a career out of it and it seems like so you then go up and kind of managing the logistics part of it yeah or what you do now or yeah like you could be me or you could be like a senior like we have lead art handlers who have a lot of expertise and specific experience that is recognized within our institution. But literally every gallery, every major gallery or museum has kind of a lead installer or like head art handler in the world. Like that's a lot of jobs. Yeah. And usually those people have art backgrounds themselves. And like, um, I was just thinking, we know someone who's who becomes maybe uh, like the head person at maybe an artist estate mm-hmm. you know like that's yeah. that's a, a cool gig because you're the one that like maybe you worked with them while they were still alive and like that person knows more about that person's working process and how they made the things more than anybody else does and you know now you're the person that carries that forward and anytime that artist's work gets lent somewhere you're definitely going to see that person because they're the authority on it and you could easily end up in a spot like that yeah i mean for people who like probably you know didn't go to business school like (laughs) it's not so bad but it does ruin museums for you like you can't (laughs) like you kind of can't i cannot go to museums really why is that (laughs) because you were spoiled like i can walk around moma by myself literally and i don't want to look at art with other people (laughs) <laughs> that's so when you when you talk about like the tunnel where someone has yeah. to wrap their arms around themselves that's actually your ideal viewing space yeah is what you're telling me not right. only for them but for you yes <laughs> yeah. yeah i was actually thinking i whenever i go to museums i find myself like with my hands behind my back and like staring intently but i'm like I feel like I'm tr- sending signals to the security guards in the room. Like, I'm being very responsible. Like, don't I, worry. I can do I, this. I know. I I'm, know. I'm yeah. one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. I'm so the opposite. I'm Because so, I'm like, oh, I'm going to look at the brush strokes. Let me, yeah. I, I try to do what you're actually paid for. Like, that's, <laughs> I'm like, oh, let's see what it looks like. And, and every, they're just staring at me because they know I'm the guy they worry about. But I mean, if, you, if you're really into it and you're like into the process and the materials, yeah. like I'm really into printmaking as well and like you see a print on a wall and you're like oh my god is that is that a lithograph is that silkscreen i don't i can't quite tell because the way it's framed and you you kind of get really close to it and you're looking at it at like a weird angle and you're like just waiting for somebody to come yell at you (laughs) yeah and in in the privacy of moma you are totally entitled to do that have museums been ruined for you too or are you Um, are you not totally i mean i i understand the sentiment sarah's (laughs) sending for sure i can can look at like antiquities 
Okay. With other people. Because you don't have those on. So, yeah, right. but I can't I can't do contemporary art or even modern art. I can't. It's been ruined for it's you. It's been ruined. Just nothing's going to compare to having the Pollock right there that you can. Yeah. Well, right. there's always the architecture of yeah. the other museums that you have to experience. Like <laughs> yeah. a place like uh, Dia Beacon where yeah. it's like. It's it's as much about the space as it is about the art yeah. that's in the space, you know? Yeah. Um, that's fun for you guys. There's some other museums I've gotten to go to over the years where you're just like, this place is gorgeous. I think actually seeing all the exhibitions come and go, you actually get used to the idea that like it's here and then it's gone. And so it's like, it doesn't really matter what the art is sometimes. It's more about going to the place and enjoying like, I'm thinking of the Louisiana Museum in Denmark, I think it is. It's just a gorgeous experience to go there and it's like a louisiana museum it's called the louisiana museum yeah um like not bayou louisiana no no, no. <laughs> that's the that's, other louisiana that threw me off for a very long yeah, time like, <laughs> so as a registrar what's like a pet peeve what is something that like drives you nuts in your job let it rip let's hear because as someone who deals with a lot of paperwork and a lot of legal stuff and probably lawyers there have to be oh a few God. i don't know i registrars tend to be very specific and like organized Types. So when you are going through your lists or through spreadsheets and our database, for me, it's like if I see one field that's just like empty yeah. or one thing that just doesn't have a picture and the rest of them do, you're just like, why? I'm going to get that fixed. <laughs> like, And you just that's kind of I think that's how my brain works. Anyway. Like, like one missing graphic in the spreadsheet. Yeah. Just... Like you're just like, why don't we have that data? We should definitely have that. Like. And it's, you know, it could just be that information literally doesn't exist yet. But so you're very sensitive to flies in the ointment. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we want everything to go really smoothly. You want to make sure all the ducks are in the row yeah. and there's always going to be things that happen. Like we try to be very precise and we have, but then there's things you can't handle. Like we have trucks going around the city, coming to us, taking stuff from us to other places. Mm -hmm. You want everything to work out, but. You know, sometimes they say they're going to get there at two. They don't get there till seven at night because traffic and variations. And you're like, you can't really control that. But it definitely creates havoc in your day when you're like trying to work on something else. And all of a sudden you're finding out that thing you thought was just going to go off without a hitch is all of a sudden become a big, weird scenario. And you're like, oh, God. Because you're I mean, you are the, the planner who's putting it all down like this is what's going to happen. And they, well, so, Sarah, wh what about you? What, what's a pet peeve? I feel like for art handling there 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 are a couple of things that happen that are like the record just like scratches across like the needle across the record like when people tell you to be careful oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> like be careful oh, it's fragile like okay thanks i <laughs> figured because you're paying me to carry it around and all but so that's one thing people will like stand behind you and be like is that are you sure it's level can you just check oh my god that's my favorite one Wait, are you sure it's level yeah oh, yeah if there's a painting on the wall, somebody's just guaranteed to be like, I don't think that's level. And everybody is just like on fire immediately. <laughs> like, pe like everybody's just like, and we're like, okay, take a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> I'm surprised we've never like made shirts or anything. Just... I mean, somebody should, me, should put together a little like do's and don'ts for new curators. <laughs> like, do not ask. Wait, so wait, what else would be on that list? I want to hmm. hear it. Is that level? I mean, is that level? Do you have to go in and get like that just to appease them? Do you have to get the level at yeah. that point? Yeah. Well, it depends on who asks, honestly. Okay. Like if a curator asks, you're going to have to go get the level. Okay. Even if it's a new curator, it's got to. Yeah, yeah. I think you're going to have to do that. Who, um, who doesn't have standing? Who is it like? Who's. I mean, I. Everybody probably has their own <laughs> threshold, honestly. Like I'm probably not getting the level. <laughs> like I'm not. Period. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's level. It yeah. is. Okay. So what else is on that do's and don'ts list? What have I said already? Be careful. Is it level? Is it level? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It's so. a borderline dangerous list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do have to go back to work eventually. <laughs> so there's the people telling you to do your job and be careful doing your job when that is your entire job is to be super right. careful and attentive. Right. And there's this fine line yeah. I actually find where our departments like work together, which is we get all the information from the artist or the lender or the gallery about like how the thing's supposed to be put together how it's supposed to look in the end like we get all that information so we try to forward that to them in mm -hmm. the course of the installation where it's like a dialogue but sometimes it feels like mm -hmm. you're like i'm bossing you around and you're like i'm not really bossing you i'm just telling you what somebody else told me is the way it has to be 
It's, there's a little, a, it's a little shoot the messenger sometimes where you're just like. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of like an upstairs downstairs thing for okay. sure. And like blue collar, white collar kind of. Is there? There's that. There's thing. a little bit of a rub. And I think that, you know, I don't blame I don't blame everyone else. They're very jealous. We get to touch the art. They don't. So sometimes that comes out. <laughs> Um, about putting together the art that's interesting to me like the idea that art has just like it's got assembly instructions yeah yeah how complex does that get very yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it's it's like you can tell the personality of the artist and how successful they are like how thorough their instructions and how complicated like if it takes eight to ten people to like put something together this is somebody with a really big studio but you can also tell the <laughs> the artists who you know i'm immediately thinking of like a coons or something where it's like so big and they're so much involved in putting it together like you might get into like rigging and but they've already thought about it like they know that they're making something gigantic so they've already thought through the process of like how it comes apart because mm-hmm. you have to get into pieces that like, I don't know, go through doorways and stuff, which, yeah. you know, sometimes you see an artwork and you're like, where that can't go anywhere. Like, like, like a Louise bourgeois, like spider, like a giant one. I'm always like, I can't even imagine how that thing goes together, but it has to come apart. Uh, you know, these things are like 50 feet tall sometimes. Wait. So what is like the most difficult to put together show you've personally had to deal with? I want to say I didn't work on it, but was Picasso's sculpture like completely bonkers? Um, it wasn't because it was or it was like choreographed to mm. the interesting like every breath. Like yeah. it, it was like nothing could go wrong, so nothing went wrong. Yeah, because um, you're just dealing with hordes and hordes of just the most expensive art in the world. That and it's indemnified and it's like every artwork has a different courier. So all the scheduling had to, which the registrars had did a great job of organizing. Shout out to all my colleagues in the uh, exhibition registrar world. Shout out to Reg. Um, That was a show with hundreds of sculptures. mm -hmm. And so each one of those pieces of work had its own handler who was coming in and overseeing it, essentially. Even at the museum, is that when you say each one had a courier coming? Uh, Oh, a courier. Yeah. Yeah. Every every little tiny pipe and every giant head was had someone with it to a to a degree. Yeah. I mean, not literally everything, but but well. like but, pretty much, but more than average. Yeah, I mean, some people brought multiple works. Yeah, like different lenders had multiple works in the show, and usually the couriers don't install, so they come and they they like oversee the condition check and and they see it installed and then they leave. It's like they're the parents seeing the kid go off to school. Yeah. Sure that they're, they're bundled up. Yeah. And- I mean, it's the same thing that we do going the other way with like when we lend our stuff to a big institution, we're doing the same job where we ride along with it, but we also make sure it gets installed to our standards. It's not right next to a doorway or in front of an air conditioning grate or, you know, you're there to kind of look out for all those things, which is so we have the same reciprocal relationship with the artwork that comes in. There's people that have this request and you have to abide by that. I just remembered what the hardest show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> go for it. The Kai Altoff show. What, I, don't know wasn't, I don't know that one. Was Kai it? Altoff. He's a living artist. He's German, but lives here, I believe. And um, was it last year? year two years. A year, two, within the past two years. And um, living artists make it like you're already like in a different level of difficulty because they're they want to be there and they want to be in charge and they want to sometimes do it in the middle of the night or alone or alone. Yeah. He just wants to install his stuff in the museum by himself. Yes. What is, wait, what, and he's what? not the only one who's made such a request. What kind of work does he? I don't know his work. What is? It? Oh, um, he's really everything he's like, super interesting he does ceramics he does he's drawing painting everything i'm just imagining like a, a lone german meandering the halls of moma like just assembling his stuff did you allow him to do we try we it was a super complicated show because lenders had to give permission essentially for him to handle the loans which is atypical oh interesting they had he had to get permission to handle his own work yeah because he doesn't own it anymore yeah that's like such an interesting thing right like that it's your artwork but now somebody else owns it yeah and like they're psyched that they have this piece by this person but at the same time you might not want them to like say to you oh i have an idea i want to like dunk your photograph in a in water 
for this show or not, that's not what he did but <laughs> but like they could happen and yeah. you're, and you're in this s- scenario yeah, where it's like, like you gave up your kid for adoption and the other guys adopted yeah. your kid you can't take back the kid at that point right. and do whatever yeah. you want with it but i mean he yeah so we had to talk about like well what what would he do and when would he do it and what if he needed help and it really pointed out like how bureaucratic having a museum show is and um but i feel like i feel pretty proud about how we i think we successfully allowed him to have the show he wanted while also maintaining our professional standards but it was really hard to like find a sweet spot in there and took a lot of talking and feeling it out and and it was uncomfortable i think for everybody but in the end, I think it was a great show. And I feel like he, I hope I'm not wrong. I think he was happy. What kind of a um, accord did you strike with him on like how to do this stuff? I think one thing that really helped is that he ended up really trusting the art handlers that yeah. were on his show. And he gained comfort and confidence in them through the process. And and then kind of his demands kind of all soft started to soften yeah. soften at that point. So he once he felt more comfortable and that people were like, we really just want you to have the best show you can have. We have no literally no other goal. So But I think it's there's always that line with a person who's doing a project or an installation of their stuff because they're probably more used to a more free environment. Whereas like we have a lot of constraints that are beyond (laughs) all of us and you know we don't want to just have like a bunch of white cubes with like carefully hung art like we want to have interesting dynamic installations like this so we have to like kind of back out from what we're sort of comfortable with which is like you know five things safely framed on a wall behind glass and Mm -hmm. these artworks that are more involved like total rooms that have just been taken over by you know just a massive amount of objects and they're like laying on each other or things that are just new. I think you, you talked to Mac and Lana about the like hole that got cut in the floor and you're like, nobody was ready for that, but you know, you make it work because it's going to be super interesting and great for the viewers when it's done. I guess this is something that a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate about what makes museums interesting, but it's not just the art that's there, but it's how the art's presented. And you guys have to constantly negotiate between doing it as interestingly as possible and then also making sure it stays within the letter of the legal agreement you've assigned to actually get the art there. Yeah. And that's like, that's kind of the tension that you're negotiating. And then you at the same time, it sounds like when you're doing with a live artist, half the job appears to be just getting their trust, like convincing them that you're competent and capable and professionals. Yeah. 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 And often the curator has that relationship with the artist. And so that goes a long way in mm-hmm. fostering that kind of goodwill. Like all of the planning and the buildup is the least fun most nerve-wracking part once you're actually in the gallery installing with people i think everyone feels better like that's when you can kind of just do the thing that you've been talking about doing for years and so everybody's usually in a pretty good mood by then until someone (laughs) asks whether it's level right (laughs) until that last yeah the final question i'm asking everybody what are your favorite pieces of art at moma for me, it's we have a nice little group of Duchamps that are usually on view. And what are they? I mean, we have a lot. It's kind of an embarrassment of riches, but we have like I really love Fresh Widow, which is like a window shaped object. And Three Standard Stoppages is good. Bicycle Wheel. What is it about the Duchamp that you love so much? Those are like when I was in college and studying art history and art and kind of trying to figure out what kind of artist I was going to be. I really gravitated to Duchamp and I felt like he is maybe the most influential artist for maybe my generation. I don't know. And now you actually get to pick up. And now I actually get to pick it up and I can see like how it's made and I can see that on the window, like the little knobs are like push pins. Yeah. Like you just don't know that when you're looking through your like history of art uh, textbook. That tactile with <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It's like gives you a different level of awareness of what this stuff is made of. Yeah. And I think you get to really digest like how is it made and like what kind of person does that. So that's for me. I feel like it's a, I'm going to get the name wrong. Bingo. Mm-hmm. The Gordon Matta Clark mm-hmm. piece. It's mm-hmm. three sections of the exterior of a house that he 
cut out in a, I think it was a nine part grid. And the installation we have is three of those. Like, so I went to architecture school and you're studying architecture, but they also teach you about art and like the relationship between the things. So there's a couple of heroes and he's definitely one of them. And so it's amazing just to take the idea of just like part of a house and you literally cut it out and then you put it in the gallery floor and all of a sudden it's just this gorgeous thing. And you really just look at the materials of like the siding and you can, part of it has uh, where the steps were on mm -hmm. the inside that have been cut away. So you see these like, the cross section of stairs and there's like a window that gets cut through halfway. It's just so dynamic and it just, I don't know, it looks good everywhere you put it. <laughs> so I have to ask as a registrar, as someone whose job it is to inspect a piece of art for it being like mint condition or at least the exact same condition it comes in. Wouldn't like the wall of a house be sort of a nightmare for you? Well, you know, that's part of it. It's like, it's nothing is in mint condition. Like our job is to document the existing condition to understand where it is. Like some, there's, we have posters that are, you know, a hundred years old. They're like cracking and falling apart and they've been creased before, you know, that just is the condition, but it's our job to note where those things are. Like, yeah. like if it's missing a big chunk of paint, we've definitely noted that mm -hmm. that's where that paint loss is and you keep an eye on it like you don't want it to get any worse you don't necessarily want to repair it either because it's part of the artwork unless somebody does a bunch of research and figures out like oh actually it's not supposed to be that way and let's get that repaired or so, so you need to make sure the house is roughly or the the wall is roughly in the shape it showed up in but the house the the cutout wall of the of the one story house does not actually have to be yeah perfect. yeah exactly it's it should be yeah. it should be what it was when he found it i yeah. mean that's kind of the gist of his thing was like he takes these old buildings and cuts holes in them cuts them in half like splitting is like one of the most beautiful projects ever he cut a house in half and then jacked up part of it so that it split down the middle oh so you, all you see is this like sliver of light going from like the bottom up so i think at the top maybe it's a foot open maybe and but i think it's only documented in like maybe a couple of videos and some photographs and the idea that, that it doesn't exist anymore yeah. i think is this really beautiful idea that like he did this beautiful act of art and architecture and then you document it and then it's gone. And like, so the only thing that survives is these pics. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. <laughs> selfie. Yeah. Selfie. It's it's good, that would be a great selfie spot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Um, I just wanted to go back to your analogy. Oh, my, my crap analogy that I never really fixed. Yeah. But I think I, at this point it's pretty clear. I have to abandon it. I, I like to think of us more like, like a strike force, like, um, <laughs> Like Delta a, Force? Is yeah, that... No, not really military. Maybe like ninjas or something. Like we have like art ninjas? These, these like secret hidden talents. <laughs> yeah, no, art ninjas. I'll take that. That's a lot better than I mean, you, <laughs> UPS. Yeah, no, UPS sucked. That was <laughs> where that's not. Yeah, no, sorry. That all, was, right. all right. It's been Cut a lot. it out. No, no, it'll, it's staying in. No, if I say dumb things on the show, I keep I keep my <laughs> dumbest comments in the show. I try to make everyone else look good. Um, not that you guys needed any help. Um, anyway, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks Thank for having you. us. That's it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you got questions or comments, send me an email at working at slate.com. The producer I'm working is Jessamine Molly. And as always, a special thank you to Justin DeWright for the ad music. Catch you next week with our final episode in our series on the Museum of Modern Art in New York City.